is our testimony. We worship and serve King Jesus. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our service, happy Easter to all of you. If we have never met, uh, my name is Connor Bales. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the North Campus of Prestonwood. I want to welcome all of you to Easter worship and celebration with us here at our church. And for those of you that are in our student ministry building, we especially welcome you. We are so excited to have you celebrating Resurrection Weekend with us here at Prestonwood. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you go with me to John chapter 16? Our church has been in a sermon series for uh, about the last four or five months uh, entitled, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. We've been navigating much in the way of the life and ministry of Christ. And really for about the last month, we've been in the upper room. You know, the last week of Jesus' life on earth, they were celebrating Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples had gone together to Jerusalem, and on a Thursday night, they celebrated a Passover meal together in that upper room. And what we know from the biblical account is that things surrounding that dinner dialogue got pretty awkward pretty fast. Jesus uh, modeled for the disciples something terribly unusual for them to witness and see, and that was his physical washing of their feet. Then he spoke some very necessary truth. Then he talked about that he is the only way for a person to have life everlasting with God. And he promised that as he was beginning to introduce the idea of his absence, there was reason for confidence because God was going to send his Holy Spirit to empower and embody his church. And then as dinner concludes, Jesus and his disciples then leave out of Jerusalem to begin to walk across the Kidron Valley just outside of town and head toward Gethsemane's garden. And what we know is that the conversation was riddled with confusion. That the conversation was something along the lines of Jesus trying to explain to disciples that things are going to get really, really dark. They're going to feel really, really bad. But I'm encouraging you to hang on, to hold on, because Jesus said joy is coming. That joy is on the way. And I know all of us have probably had at moments in our life uh, uh, just conversations where we're trying to convince someone that if they'll just hang on, if they'll just stick with you, that it's going to get much, much better. It'll make sense in the end. I remember when I proposed to my wife, uh, Mary, and uh, she was a senior in college and graduating from Texas Tech. Uh, it took me five years. I did a victory lap. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so for her graduation, uh, I wanted to propose to her. I'd had all the conversations with her parents and family. They were all in town to celebrate her graduation. And so my big idea was, well, I'll go and propose, and then uh, we can come back to the party, and it'll be like a graduation and an engagement celebration uh, that night. And so I was trying to convince Mary that I had this big idea. I had roped a buddy of mine from school into helping me with the ask. And so I was just trying to convince her that, hey, well, let's leave the party. We're going to go do something special, something and fun. And all I could come up with was, we're going to take a family photo. <laughs> oh, y'all are judgy. <laughs> we better go to Grace quick, huh? Listen, I'm going to just tell you, she's been married to me almost 23 years. She's had five of my babies. I think it worked. All right. <laughs> but I was trying to convince her that this makes sense and just hang on. It'll all be worth it in the end. Joy is coming. That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's trying to describe to them this idea that if you'll just hang on, it's going to get better. Joy is on the way. And yet the disciples are really, really 
confused by what it is that Jesus is trying to explain to them. This is John's Gospel, chapter 16. Let's read together, starting in verse 16. John 16, starting in verse 16. If you're there, say, I got it. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, and a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. I love this. You can really hear the confusion in the conversation. I love the humanity that's recorded in the Bible, that very often we are able to immerse ourselves in the reality of the story because we can so relate to the humanity of the characters that are found there within. How many times have you been in a meeting where a boss or a supervisor comes in and they want to explain to the team about a new concept or a new product that they're going to roll out or a new sales strategy or a new tactic that's going to be deployed, but no one on the team wants to admit in front of anyone else that they have no idea what it is that the boss is saying to them. You've been in those meetings, right? The boss comes in, here's what we're going to do, here's the new product, here's how it's going to work. Everybody's like, oh, sounds great. The moment that they leave, you look around, you're like, I have no idea what she just said. That's what's going on. The disciples are looking around like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, Jesus being God understands that. And so he engages with them. Pick it up in 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Jesus knowing that his disciples were confused about the conversation. See, we read back into this understanding history and that what Jesus is describing to the disciples who don't understand it at that time is the resurrection. Jesus says, for a minute, you're not going to see me. And then a little while after that, you will see me again. He's clearly speaking about the resurrection, but the disciples have no idea about that. And so Jesus wants his disciples to know that joy is coming. And I think it's twofold. I think Jesus wants his disciples to know, listen, there's a joy coming that you'll need to cling to just because of the difficulty and the tragedy of what the next several hours are going to unfold. But I think even more than that, Jesus says there is a joy coming because For all of our lives lived in a world which is broken and fractured through the introduction of sin, we're going to need to have a hope of joy that sustains us and promises to us that this world doesn't have the last say. And that's what Jesus is describing. Remember, several times in this dinner dialogue, Jesus has said things like, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't let fear win the day. And so I think the question is, what does Jesus say about a joy that is founded in him and what does the reality of an empty tomb have to do with that? In other words, what do we know about the joy of Easter based on the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples on that Thursday night? Well, the first thing we know about the joy of Easter is this. The joy of Easter is redemptive. The joy of Easter is redemptive. Now, here's what I mean. Jesus said, um, for a little while, the world is going to rejoice. 
You're going to lament. You're going to weep. You're going to grieve. You're going to be saddened. You're going to be heartbroken. And, and at the same time, the world is going to rejoice. It's going to feel to you like the world is winning, like Satan has the upper hand, like all hope is lost. But family, Jesus is talking about a Friday. And we're a people who live with the reality of a Sunday morning. And so why Jesus speaks about the hope of redemption and the reason why joy is found there within it is because he is the God who turns our sorrow into joy. And some of you need this word here this morning because you feel like you can't catch your breath. You feel like maybe you can't catch a break. You, you, you feel like you just can't get anything to go your, your way. You feel like the world is winning. And, and maybe you've even walked in here today and you feel like all hope is lost. That's a Friday mentality. But if you are in Christ Jesus, we live with a Sunday reality. That Jesus died on a Friday, he resurrected on a Sunday, and therefore the joy that he provides is one which redeems. He says specifically, I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy. In fact, that's the core of the gospel message, that what is broken, God redeems and turns into a blessing. Just think about the ministry and the miracle of adoption. Some of you are adoptive families, and so you have experienced the power of adoption. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that actually the relationship we enjoy in the forever family of God is like an adoption, that sin had us orphaned, but God has adopted us in Christ Jesus. But the reason why adoption is so powerful as blessing is because of the reality that something must have broken in order for that child to not have a home. And yet Jesus says what is broken, and when the world feels like it is winning with that brokenness, I'm going to redeem and give you an everlasting joy. So some of you might have come in here this Easter morning, and you're still clinging to that Friday afternoon discouragement. And I think the message of Easter for you today is that the joy of Jesus is redemptive and we need to walk out of here with a Sunday morning mentality. The joy of Easter is redemptive. Let's keep reading. Jesus goes further. In verse 22, he says, so also you have sorrow now. If you mark or highlight in your Bibles, you might want to circle that word now. He says, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. If you mark your Bibles, underline the entirety of that last phrase. Because what Jesus is doing is comparing for us the reality that it's going to feel like in this moment our joy is lost but in Christ Jesus, the joy of Easter is not only redemptive, it is eternal. Jesus said, no one can take your joy from you. Meaning no one can steal, no one can hide, no one can diminish our joy when it is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of Easter is eternal. Now, because we're going to be honest with one another this morning... We need to admit there are times when our joy is lost. But that's our doing, right? Because the joy of Easter, the joy that is rooted in the person of Jesus, is one that can never be taken from us. But if we're being honest, too many times we are a people who give it away. And most often that happens through what I describe as the thief of joy, and that is comparison. I warn us as a church family often about the primary place today where we see this unfold, and that's on social media. 
Because today we're going to be posting all sorts of great Easter pictures, and we should, right? And your families look great, and everybody's dressed up, and I can't believe you got your kids to smile for that pic. But let's be honest, it took 47 tries for that to happen. (laughs) And before you posted it, you put six filters on that thing. Now, come on, right? And when we compare our life and how good or bad we think we have it to someone else's life and how good or bad we think they do, what we're doing is choosing to give away our joy. Because the reality is, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it can never be taken from us. But tragically, too many times, we are pretty quick to give it away. And most often, that is through the thief of comparison. In fact, the psalmist would write in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, and say, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, not sometimes, not occasionally, not on the best days, but forevermore. The joy of Jesus, that is the joy of Easter. It is redemptive and it is eternal. Um, A few years ago, my family uh, qualified for a -a Make-A-Wish trip uh, to Disney World. Uh, Libby and Hannah qualified, and uh, we had the best time, and and Disney rolled out the red carpet for us, and uh, it was just an amazing experience because we got genie badges, which gets you to the front of the line, and so pulling those wheelchairs around Disney was uh, difficult to do, but the genie pass just makes it so much uh, uh, easier for us to navigate so you don't have to wait, and then every single time one of the princesses saw one of my girls in their chairs, they would come over and spend time with them and greet them and take a photo with them. And uh, the people who ran the rides were so kind. In fact, my Libby, when she gets excited, she flaps her hands. And so when she would ride a ride, if she enjoyed it and would flap, then the person who was running the ride would be like, looks like she had fun. I was like, she had a great time. He's like, let's do it again. I'm like, yes, it was awesome. (laughs) But my little Campbell at the time was big time into Moana. Y'all know the Disney movie Moana? Oh, y'all don't watch Disney. Yes, of course, right? You're welcome. Okay, so she was big time into Moana, and and you should have seen her face when she got to meet Princess Moana. I have a picture I'll show you. She was smiling ear to ear, and then all this was pre-COVID, so Princess Moana hugged her, and it was awesome and so kind. And listen, it didn't matter what we did the rest of the day. It didn't matter how long we had to wait in line. It didn't matter whether or not Campbell had to wait for her sister's diapers to be changed. It didn't matter anything we were going to face or endure. Nothing was going to take that smile off my girl's face. That was joy. Well, listen, I think some of us today need a -a make-a-wish trip with Jesus. And we need to be reminded that our joy in him is eternal. And it's merely up to us as to whether or not we're going to give it away. Right? But in Christ Jesus, no one can take it from us. Because our joy is eternal because our God lives forever. That's the hope of Easter and the reality of an empty tomb. Finally, Jesus now begins to conclude the conversation on his coming joy. He says, hang on, because joy is coming. Pick it up in verses 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
the word for full there, it's the idea of whole or completed. And so what we understand about the joy of Easter is not merely that it is redemptive, but Jesus said, I'm going to turn your, joy, uh, your sorrow into joy. Not merely that it is eternal, meaning no one can take it. It's up to us whether we give it away. But our joy in Jesus, the joy of Easter is complete, meaning we lack nothing to be a people who walk in the fullness of joy right here, right now. You lack nothing for a life filled with joy. Now listen, we're not talking about circumstantial happiness. And neither was Jesus. Things were about to get really, really dark. And he's already had very honest and difficult conversations with them in that upper room. And so we can't be a people who understand the eternal joy of God based upon the circumstantial, conditional happiness of our day. But we lack nothing in Jesus to be a people who walk in the fullness of joy because in Jesus we have everything we need to do that. That's the hope of the resurrection and the reality of an empty tomb. And if we're not careful to embrace this biblical understanding of a joy in Jesus which is complete, then we'll be tempted to make our life and our contentment in Christ conditional based upon what we have or what we do. So we'll say things like, well, when I get that job, or if I could just get this relationship to, to begin to settle down, or if I could just get my mind to calm, or if I could just get us to move out of this home and into that one, or if we just had this much money, or if we could just sock this much away, then... I know I'll have joy. But the problem with that kind of living and understanding of a joy in Jesus is that it's conditional and entirely upon you and me. But the reality of the gospel is that God has done for us something we were never able to provide for ourselves. And so our joy is not conditional upon what you and I can achieve or accomplish, what we have or what we do not. But rather it is rooted in the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our joy is complete. This is what Jesus meant when he was describing the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples just a few hours earlier in the conversation that night. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, the same word, the idea of whole or completed. I think this must have been what Jesus' very brother, James, meant when he tried to write a letter to the New Testament church encouraging them that despite the fact their faith is costing them, they can still be a people who find joy. When James writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I believe God wants you to know you need to stop waiting on a one-day win and walk in the joy of Easter right here, right now. Because it's yours in Christ Jesus. Through the reality of the empty tomb and the hope that we have because our God lives. And so how is this joy in Jesus even possible? Well, it's possible because the God who promised it on a Thursday night died for our sins on a Friday afternoon and victoriously rose from the grave on a Sunday morning. And that truth of the resurrection gives to us a supernatural joy. You see, on that Sunday morning, for the disciples, it felt like all hope was lost. Their teacher, their rabbi, 
their world, had died on a criminal's cross on a Friday afternoon. He was buried before sundown, and there was no word from him or anything else on all of Saturday. Early on the Sunday morning, some of the women went to the tomb, and they were met with an astonishing sight because the stone had been rolled away, and an angel of the Lord Jesus Christ met them there and said, why are you here looking for the living among those who are dead? Immediately, the women were struck with wonder and astonishment and excitement, and they quickly ran back to the disciples to tell them what they had seen and what they had heard. The disciples were trying to decipher what this meant. Could these women and their testimony be trusted? Was God, in fact, going to reveal himself to them? And so back in that same upper room where the promise of a coming joy was given by Jesus on a Thursday night, now it is Sunday morning and the disciples are waiting to discover and discuss what it is that God might have for them. And guess what? A resurrected Jesus showed up. Luke chapter 24 says this, And as they were talking about all these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it is, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him, them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy. And we're marveling. That word there for disbelieve, it's the idea they were still in shock. Why were they still in shock? Because joy had taken over. Because the joy that was promised on a Thursday night is the joy that was given on a Sunday morning. And what I want you to know here today is that the same promise of a joy in Jesus that was given to the disciples 2,000 years ago is a promise for joy that is available to you here today. You see, the reality for every single one of us in this room is that we are all in desperate need of a right relationship with God. But if we're being honest, some of us would need to admit that we know currently that's not where we stand. You see, in in this room and, and in the student ministry building, the great commonality among everybody here celebrating Easter with us today is, is not our background, it's not our neighborhoods, it's not even the family and friends who are sitting right nearby. The great commonality among all of us, all of us, is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every person, everywhere. Sin is a little word. It has a big implication. It just simply means all that we've said and thought and done that is in contradiction for how God intended for things to be. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know that I'm that bad. The evidence of your sinfulness is that you would have that thought. And the Bible says that because of our sin that separates us from God, there is a consequence that is due for that. There is a punishment that is rightly deserved. In Romans chapter 6, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that is earned for something that is done. Well, what we have earned for our sin, our rebellion against how God intended for things to be, is death. Eternal separation, a death for our sins. It goes on in that verse and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, meaning that what we deserve might not be what God has provided. 
I'll see if I can illustrate it this way. I've told this story to our church family before. When my now 16-year-old son was a little boy, uh, one night in the Bales family, it's kind of a big treat uh, for us to have a family movie night. And so uh, one time when my kids were really little, uh, we were going to have a family movie night. We were going to watch a, a Disney movie, and we were going to get in our pajamas, and Mary was going to pop popcorn. We were going to crash on the couch and watch a movie that night. And so everybody was excited about it. We had been talking about it all, all week. And my son Coleman had messed up at school that day, and somehow he had uh, been disrespectful or disobedient to his uh, teacher. And my wife got a phone call from the teacher that day explaining what had happened and why Coleman had gotten in trouble at school. And so when he comes home, uh, Mary and I talked to him, and I was like, man, I'm so sorry about the decision you made to be disobedient in school, but the consequence for your actions is that you don't get to participate in family movie night. And, of course, being the good dad that I am, we laid it on really thick at dinner. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch this movie. How about you? <laughs> and so after dinner, everybody gets in their PJs, and now Mary uh, fills the house with the smell of buttery popcorn, the nectar of heaven. And so... We are so excited for family movie night. And I'm like, hey, bud, I'm so sorry. You got to go to your room. You, you can't watch the movie with us tonight. And so he begins to march up the stairs. And about halfway up the stairs, he turns around and I said, dude, what's wrong? And he's a pastor's kid, so he's kind of savvy in this regard. He goes, I just wish you'd show me grace. <laughs> That's not bad. I'm going to be honest with you. I said, man, what do you think grace is? He said, I, I think that you should let me watch the movie. And I said, that's not grace. And I said, I am going to show grace to you, but we got to do something about the punishment that you deserve. And so I'll go up to your room and I'll take your punishment and I'll let you take my place and sit next to your mom on the couch because that's grace. And, and listen, in an eternal way, that's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. It's not, family, that our punishment went away. It's that Jesus absorbed it on our behalf. He traded with us. He took the punishment that was due to you and to me and gives to us the righteousness that was belonging to him so that we can be in a right relationship with God. And the Bible says that the demonstration of God's love is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning this, there's nothing that you and I have done to earn or deserve this free gift of God's grace. In fact, it's in the moment that we least deserved it that Jesus got on that bloody cross and gave his life as a ransom for sin. And so, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. And confession is a declaration of what you believe to be true. Every person everywhere is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The question is whether or not you will confess it and end up in heaven or whether or not you will confess it living your life in hell. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, then you will be saved. It said, with the heart one believes and is justified. Justified is a biblical word. It means given right standing before God. And so if we confess Jesus and believe and give ourselves over to fully trusting in his finished work on our behalf, the Bible says our sins are forgiven and we are saved. And it says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, meaning you don't know the person who is too far gone for God to reach, and you certainly aren't that person. And so, because we're being honest here today, there are some of you who are not in a right relationship with God, 
I'm so glad you chose to join us for Easter this morning. I, I don't know if this was just a box that you thought you needed to check or if you're here to appease a loved one or a family member or a friend or if you just found your way curious about the things of God and have joined us here today. But if you are not in a right relationship with God, if you have not confessed Jesus Christ, asked him to forgive you of your sin, given yourself over to fully trusting that he's the only one who could, then you are destined to spend an eternity separated from God. But you don't have to. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, how do I do that? I keep hearing you talking about this joy of Jesus, but I, I want that joy to be mine. I want to know what the joy of Easter, the redemption, its eternal value, and being complete in Christ Jesus might mean for me. Well, that's easy. All you have to do is cry out and ask God to save you. You simply ask God to save you. Acknowledge you're a sinner. God, I am a sinner and I am in need of your salvation. And I believe that Jesus is the one who took my punishment for my sins and who has resurrected from the grave so that I can also have life with you forever. And I am choosing today to give my life over to Christ. And if you prayed that prayer and you genuinely mean that prayer, the Bible says you are saved. And so I'm going to ask you if you would indulge me for just another moment or two. I'm going to ask every person in the room and those of you who are watching on the screen, if you would, every person, please just close your eyes. Please just close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I'm asking now that you would start to slow your thoughts. And the reason I would ask you to slow your thoughts is because I want you this morning to be able to concentrate on my words. Because there are some of you here in this room and some of you in the student ministry building now who need to give your life to Christ or you just did. And so the Bible tells us, Jesus speaking, that for those who confess me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. And so if Christ died for you, the least we ought to be able to do is stand in response for him. And so since everyone's eyes are closed, I'm gonna ask you, if you prayed and asked God to save you from your sin, if you prayed today and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you and you have asked God to change and save your life, then I'm asking you to be bold enough this Easter morning to stand so I can talk to you about the decision that God has led you to make. If God has saved you and you have prayed and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you, then I'm asking you to take a stand for him. If you're worried that you're gonna be embarrassed, I promise you, everyone's eyes are closed and no one is looking around. And if you are worried you're gonna stand alone, squeeze the hand of that person who is nearby and I promise you, they will stand with you. Thank you. All over the room, if you have prayed and asked God to save you from your sin and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, then stand right where you are. In the student ministry building, you stand. Squeeze the hand of that person next to you. You will not stand alone. I promise you, if God has saved you from your sin, then you take a stand for him. Thank you. All over the room, I see you standing. Parents, if you have children that are giving their life to Christ and they're willing to squeeze you as mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, then you stand with them. No one will stand alone. Thank you. 
I see you. Now, everyone's eyes continue to be closed. I'm going to ask those of you who have been bold enough to stand if you would just look at me. Because I just want to talk to you. First of all, I want to affirm the decision that God has led you to make. And I want to tell you that for you, eternity is forever changed. That God's love for you is so great that from now on you can know there is nothing that can change your right relationship with Him. No one can take your joy in Jesus because you belong to God. And I'm going to ask you, because you've been bold enough this morning to take a stand for Jesus Christ, in just a moment when we're dismissed and our service begins to move out into the atrium and head back to our homes, I'm going to ask you, if you have been willing today to acknowledge that God has saved you and you have taken a stand for Him, then please stop by one of those celebration stations that are marked right outside of the student building and right out in the atrium of our church. They have huge balloon towers on either side, and we have staff and volunteers that want to celebrate the decision that you have made. We actually have Bibles that we want to give to you, a free gift, no strings attached. It's just our acknowledgement that God has changed your life, and so we want you to have a copy of His Word, and we will resource you and come alongside you and pray over you in the decision that God has led you to make. Nothing could matter more this Easter morning than for you to know that you no longer live under the curse of a Friday, but you walk in the reality of a Sunday, and that is true forevermore.